Hi there, welcome to the night before podcast for the A-level geography exam, paper one. This is the physical paper. So um, I'm Catherine and today I'm just going to quickly walk you through some key facts that you might need to know for your exam, as well as some general exam tips and some revision tips on how to have a, the least stressful night before your exam you can possibly have. And don't forget, on the Seneca YouTube channel, there are live streams at 4.45 and 5.30 every weekday, which help with various different topics across all sorts of different exams. So I'm going to run through some quick topics and I'm going to run through some general revision tips. And then finally, I'm going to talk about how to bust stress. So first, the first topic I'm going to cover is the water cycle. And I'm just going to run through some quick flashcard type topics. Let's, have, let's start. What kind of system is the global hydrological cycle? It is a closed system. What are stores of water? When we talk about stores, we include all water stored as either water vapour, ice, saline or fresh water. Saline just means salt water. What are flows of water? Flows are how water moves from one store to another. So quickly recapping that, what kind of system is the global hydrological cycle? Is it closed, open or isolated? Correct answer is it's a closed system. What are the relative sizes of the different water stores? 96.5% of Earth's water in the ocean is in the oceans and seas. 2.5% is in fresh water, so it's not salty, and 0.9% of Earth's water is in other saline, meaning salty water sources. When do droughts happen? Droughts happen when an area suffers from a water deficit. If rainfall falls well below an average for a specific place, then a deficit can happen. What are the different types of drought? There are four different types, meteorological, agricultural, hydrological, and socioeconomic. I'll just quickly explain those as well. Meteorological is drier than what's considered to be normal precipitation levels for that area, climate and season. Agricultural is when there's insufficient water for crops leading to wilting or loss of crops without irrigation. Hydrological, when the drainage basin suffers short is reduced stream flow or an increase of river flow in the, into the reservoirs. And finally, socioeconomic, when there's demand for water to be used for social and economic purposes or when HEP, so hydroelectric power, exceeds water availability. What are the different physical causes of drought? These are the ENSO cycles, meaning El Nino Southern Oscillation, which consist of El Nino and La Nina, as well as short-term precipitation deficits. So quickly recapping that, the four different types of drought are hydrological, socioeconomic, agricultural, and meteorological. Try and remember those. And differently, what are the different human causes of drought? These are over-abstraction of surface water and over-abstraction of aquifers, which is water underground. What are the physical causes of flooding? It's an increase in rainfall, so prolonged or heavy rain and heavy rainfall, extreme monsoon rainfall, which is more seasonal, and intense tropical storms and thunderstorms. There's also an increase in surface runoff water, snowmelt, and Enso La Nina. What is flash flooding? These floods happen quickly and frequently without warning. What causes flash flooding? These are caused by low air pressure systems and can create intense tropical storms and thunderstorms that produce heavy rainfall. What are the human causes of flooding? The removal of vegetation, agriculture, urbanisation, floodplain drainage and river management. So now we've done the water cycle, that's a really key topic and for the AQA exam 
you will have to answer a question on the water and carbon cycles. So it's important that, you, that, that these topics are the ones you know really well. Obviously, it's important to know all your topics really well. Now let's have a look at the carbon cycle. Quickly run through this. Carbon is found across our world in different forms, as a liquid, meaning it's dissolved in bodies of water, as a gas, like carbon dioxide, and as a solid, like carbon, calcium carbonate, aka limestone. Terrestrial carbon, so carbon on the earth. Carbon is found within every living organism on the planet. On the land, every plant and animal is an example of a carbon store. When plant and animal matter decays, it can be converted into other carbon stores by going into the soil. Other terrestrial carbon is stored within the mantle and can be converted into atmospheric carbon by the process of outgassing by volcanoes, where they let out carbon dioxide during eruptions. Organisms. During photosynthesis, plants remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere to produce energy for plant growth. During respiration, all living organisms release carbon dioxide as they breathe and grow. Decomposition also takes place. When living organisms die, they are broken down, releasing carbon dioxide into the soil. Combustion also takes place. The burning of biomass or fossil fuels, both by man and in natural wildfires, releases carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere. Let's have a look at oceanic carbon. Aquatic plants and animals um, fall to the ocean and dead after death. Due to compression and cementation, they form into sedimentary rock, and during these processes, crude oil and natural gas can form. Carbon dioxide is stored as a gas in the atmosphere. Now let's have a look at atmospheric carbon. Carbon can leave the atmosphere when mixing with water vapour. When precipitation happens, this causes carbonic acid, which is commonly referred to as acid rain. Which of these processes do not release carbon dioxide into the atmosphere? Is it combustion, volcanic eruptions, cementation, respiration or photosynthesis? So which of these processes does not release carbon dioxide into the atmosphere? And those are cementation and photosynthesis. They actually absorb carbon dioxide. What category of rock is formed when dead aquatic plants and animals are compressed and cemented into the ocean floor? The correct answer is sedimentary rock. And that's everything you need to know about the carbon cycle. Well, there's not everything you need to know, but that's a really good piece of information and you should be able to use that in your exams tomorrow. Now let's have a look at a slightly different topic going moving away from the carbon cycle. Let's have a look at some uh, questions to do with hazards. What type of magma um, usually causes violent and explosive eruptions? Is it granitic, basaltic, gabbroic, or andesitic? The correct answer is andesitic. What was first discovered on the ocean floor during the 1960s, providing key evidence of plate tectonics? Was it deep sea vents, magnetic stripes, mid-oceanic ridges or ocean trenches? The correct answer is magnetic stripes. Most tropical cyclones form between which latitudes? Is it from the equator to 10 degrees north and south? From 10 degrees north and from 10 to 15 degrees north and south? From 5 to 10 degrees north and south? Or from the equator, equator to 20 degrees north and south? The correct answer is from 5 to 10 degrees north and south. What causes the storm surge often accompanies a cyclone making landfall? Is it low air pressure, global warming, wind pushing waves onshore, or intense rainfall? The correct answer is low air pressure. So those are some just quick questions about hazards that we've just run through. 
And I was thinking, just run through one more topic before I get move on to some general revision tips and then how to bust dressed right before your exams. Let's take a look at system, their coastal systems and processes. First of all, what is weathering? Weathering describes the breaking down of rocks where they are. And a really good term to use for this is in situ. That just means they're not moving. So weathering is breaking down of rocks where they are. What are the three main, main processes of weathering? These are mechanical, chemical, and biological. Mechanical weathering is when rocks are broken down without the chemical composition being changed. This main type of weather, mechanical weathering affecting coast is salt weathering, where salt water gets in cracks in rocks, salt crystals form when the seawater evaporates, the crystals then expand under pressure on the rock. Over time, the repeated evaporation of salt water widens the cracks in the rock, so much of the rock breaks apart. Mechanical weathering also happens with runoff water from slightly acidic rain. Chemical weathering is when rocks are broken down because of their chemical composition being changed. Is carbonation weathering is a type of chemical weathering that takes place when it's warm and wet. Carbon dioxide dissolves in rain, making a weak carbonic acid. The acid rain water dissolves types of rocks that contain calcium carbonate. Biological weathering is when rocks are broken down by living things. Mass movement describes when rocks or loose materials shift down from slopes. This happens when gravity overcomes the force supporting the material. Mass movement can cause rapid coastal retreat and are common when the material is saturated. What is the sediment cell concept? This describes a closed system operated by sources, transfers and sinks, driven by erosion, transportation and deposition processes. The sources are sub-area processes, erosional processes and sediments brought to the coastline by rivers. Transfers are longshore drift, onshore and offshore winds and tides. Sinks are depositional landforms, so spits, bars, beaches and sand dunes. The UK has 11 key sediment cells and subcells, each one with its own shoreline management plan. And that's everything you need to know about coastal systems and processes. Now let's have a look at some general revision tips. These are just really important just to know right before you go into the exam, keep fresh in your mind and ultimately don't panic. So let's start off with reading the question. So make sure you actually read it, understand what it's asking you, and then actually answer the question it's asking. Answer the question that you've been given, not the question that you want to answer. This is really important to remember because it's really easy when you're writing a long answer, especially to try and twist it into one that you've already answered before, one that you've written in class or arrived. But if you try and answer a question that's not actually asking you, you know, it might be asking a type of erosion, you might want to twist it into some kind of management plan or something you will lose points for this. Um, make sure you write well and respond to all the parts of the question and give a clear answer. Second, also very important, is to read the command words. Is it asking you to evaluate, describe, or assess, assess the extent of something? Is it asking you to what extent you agree? If it is, go tell them. Tell them if you agree or not, to what extent you agree. So tonight, make sure you have a read over all the different command words you could get and make sure you know how to answer questions based on all of them. Do that tonight and have it fresh for tomorrow morning. Um, and also, remember to use your case studies. If you don't use case studies, you will lose out on a lot of marks. If, if you know some contemporary case studies, something you might have read in the newspaper or seen online, don't be afraid to throw them in and wow the examiner. But if you haven't seen anything new, don't panic, because what you have learned already is enough.
is just like the cherry on top of the cake. If you're stretching for like top, top marks, it might be a good idea to throw in some new things. But the most important thing you can do is write well, write clearly and answer the questions that you've been given. At this point, whatever you know, you know enough. So don't panic yourself trying to learn anything new because at this stage, things won't be absorbed. So just get some rest and make sure and just be confident that you've learned everything that you can learn and that you will do as well as you possibly can do tomorrow. Okay, so let's look at, let's look at some tips to managing stress during exams. The first thing is to relax. These exams are important and people, often people get really worried about them. But it's important to give yourself time to actually relax and just rest and not make sure that you're not working all the time because you won't be working in, in your opt, at your optimal pace if otherwise. Take a long hot bath if you can. This will help you really relax. You can do it after exam, you can do it before to get yourself ready. Do some exercise. This is really great for busting stress. Um, make sure if you, if you can, give yourself some time just to just go for a run, maybe go for a swim if you're able to, and that will really help you focus and relax after, before or after an exam. And finally, the most important point, get enough sleep. You know, right before an exam is not the time to be learning new things. Just let your brain rest, and then in the, ne the next day, your, your brain will be ready to take, you know, to really approach those questions and, and do the best you can. So let's do this. You've got this. Best of luck. Good luck for your exams. We're going to be releasing night before podcasts before every exam. And if you head on over to YouTube on every weekday, we are going to be doing live streams at 4.45 and 5.30. So make sure you subscribe. And while you're at it, rate us five stars. We're amazing. <laughs> Good luck.